flat out RC time once again. Welcome back to the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis and drones. My name's Andrew Sill coming to you kind of from Melbourne, Australia. But I'm as this goes to air, I am in Las Vegas. If you listened to last week's podcast, you would have heard me talk about my trip to America for work. Uh, and yeah. I'm at Las Va- in Las Vegas. Uh, let me speculate what I might be thinking because I'm recording this in advance. Uh, it's, gee, it's really hot here in Las Vegas and, gee, it's a city that never sleeps and uh, I've been handling the alcohol consumption okay at the event that I've been filming at uh, in the evenings, uh, had plenty of burgers and um, still jet lag. Anyway, that's what I might be speculating. Anyway, we have a good episode for you this week. Uh, joining us is John Amarego. Uh, from up in Canberra. So uh, we haven't had many guests from Canberra, but we have one this week. So we'll have a bit, bit of a deep dive with John. So stay tuned for that. Before we get to John, let's have a look at what's been on my mind. Well, before I get what to what's on my mind, Festival Area Modelling, don't forget 30th of June to the 4th of July at the Inglewood Airport, which is... In Queensland, a bit north of the New South Wales border, not too far. Uh, five days, four nights of flying with guest world champion pilots Raquel Below, the 3D heli gun, and uh, Martin Pickering, of course. The both of them are coming from Spain. Why both of them? Well, guess what? They're partners. It's a partnership made in heaven. They both fly radio controller guns at it. So uh, it'd be great to uh, get on down and have a look. I won't be there, but. I hope you are. Go on and register at the Land Down Under Aerosports, ldu-aerosports.com.au forward slash events. Festival of Aero Modeling, planning to be Australia's drone all. Uh, first one ever. A lot of work going into it, so I hope you can get there to the Inglewood Airport. Go and have a look at Google Inglewood Airport and have a look how cool it is. Asphalt runway, plenty of space. Some people are bringing their caravans and sleeping on site. There's a caravan park down the road that people are staying at, a few motels in town. Um, the, the township is really, really supporting this event. The local council is really looking forward to having all the aeromodelers up there. And you know what? I reckon this is not going to be the last event we see at Inglewood because of the support that, that uh, everyone's giving towards flying up there. So Festival Aeromodeling, 30th of June, 4th of July. Don't forget to go and register, as I mentioned. Now, it's winter in Melbourne. I want to talk a bit about what do people do during winter time? Because if you live in a country uh, where you have distinct seasons, and Australia's a weird place because we're a big country, and if you're you know, sort of north of Victoria, the state of Victoria down south, uh, you get generally warmer weather, and so it's a bit of a different argument about what you do in winter because generally probably winter's a good time to go flying up there, ex- except... Now, if you live in Queensland, you know, you've probably been subjected to a lot of rain, but uh, the weather is generally warmer up, up further north. But if you live in, in, in a colder climate like I do, we don't go flying much in winter. Uh, in America, where when it starts to snow, or in Europe, when it starts to snow, you know what it's like. And we always talk about it's a great time to get uh, into building projects. And I've got two thoughts about that, that... I agree. It is a great time. You know, if you want to keep active with your aero modeling, nothing beats going and building a, a new model. And because you can't fly, well, you can dedicate that time to building the model. But a, a little bit of my experience when I was selling model aeroplanes, I hardly sold any aeroplanes in winter. Everybody bought them in summer because they bought planes when they were out flying. 
and got really motivated to go and spend money because I was having such a good time. And in winter, that's almost like hibernate from the hobby. Uh, so I don't know what you guys and girls do, whether you're in the shed building um, building models, but it does make a lot of sense. But it depends on the setup that you've got because you might be living in a place that's cold and in a shed out the back in your backyard and it's freezing cold out there because you might not have any heating. Uh, so so there's pros and cons. I know that uh, Ray Melton over in South Australia I've had on the podcast, he's got his a workshop upstairs in his house and ma- massive massive workspace and that sounds like the perfect uh, solution that I'd like to have. But uh, I was going to get my models out a few weeks ago to finish off uh, a couple of things on a model and um, it was a terrible weather weekend. It was just cold and wet and I decided that I just couldn't be bothered because I have to go into my garage. I have to move my trailer out of the garage to work on the planes because I just don't have space, people. The single car garage, the trailer's in there. So the trailer needs to be moved out, open up the trailer, pull the plane out that I want to work on, put it on a stand, do my work, and then reverse the order to get it all back in. And uh, I just thought, I don't want to put the trailer out, get it all wet. I, I, I baby my trailer. I thought, oh. I go outside, pull it out, get the trailer wet. I get wet. Planes get wet as I lift them out to transport them and all that kind of stuff. I thought, you know what? I'm not in a rush. I'm going to be away. We miss a few weekends. I'll worry about it when I get back. And hopefully, I'm happy to do it if it's cold, but cold and wet, that's where I draw the line. Not doing it when it's cold and wet. So hopefully, uh, you're out there building. And what's interesting is I really am feeling this growth in laser cut kits because we've got so many good providers down here in Australia and around the world, really that uh, people are getting inspired to to go and buy a kit and put it together. And I, I love seeing people's builds on Facebook, you know, and seeing what they're doing. It was interesting. My son was doing a project for, for architecture at school and he was building a model of a, of a house and he was using balsa wood. And, and I could, and of course, dad, have you got any uh, glue? Have I got glue? What do you need? Uh, Super thin, thin, medium, thick, extra thick. Uh, do you need some kicker to go with it? Do you need some foam glue? Because I was using some foam to, to build out this thing as well. And and um, I saw, he, look, he's not an aero modeler. He, he's never built a model plane or worked with Bolsa before. And I could see by some of his work, he's, you know, the, the precision in his cuts weren't there. But I said to him, look, you know what? I said, if you built some model aeroplanes, you'd probably improve your skills a bit. So, um, yeah, get, get out there and get the laser cut kit thing going, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, stay warm doing it. I, I think it's a great idea. But uh, the good thing down here in um, in Victoria is that I always say that my, my flying season recommences the middle of September, and that happens to coincide with the Shepherd and Mammoth scale event, which I hope to see everybody there. Put it in your agenda now to come down to Shepherd and the Shepherd and Mammoth scale flying because they make it a big event because it's a great event where best of the best planes are or big stuff as the name mentioned. Uh, uh, but uh, that's the start because we get into springtime. It, we get late August, early September. It starts to warm up. The sun comes out. And before you know it, we're back in the full swing of, uh, of flying again. And so it goes very, very quickly. I am a skier, snow skier, so I don't mind winter for skiing. So often friends say to me, are you going to come flying? I'm saying, no, I'm going skiing because I've got a house up near the snow. Gonna go skiing. Spend a lot of money to go and do it. Have a lot of fun, but I enjoy uh, enjoy it. My family it's a good family hobby to do. Um, Aero modeling is a bit bit of a selfish exercise for me since the rest of my family is not interested. And in, I've tried people. I've tried to get them involved, but they don't want to. But uh, so we will go out skiing in winter together. So anyway, 
moral of the story is, yep, it's cold, it's miserable. But guess what? There's always something to do, and that is get in the shed and build. And I know that you like building in summer when you're all motivated, but go and spend some money now. Get the kick going. And look, take your time. There's no rush. You can do some this winter, and you do some next winter, and the following winter you can have it finished. Sounds like a plan. It's guest time, which means it's my favourite part of the podcast because I'm sick of listening to my own voice. I rarely listen to these podcasts back. Sometimes I listen to to some of the guests back just to remind me about the memories. Can anyone hear my son playing computer games in the background? I, I walked into his bedroom. I said, hey, Charlie, I'm about to do some recording from a podcast. Can you just be a bit quieter? Anyway. Uh, you know, if you've got kids out there that are gamers, you know what it's like. Uh, they live in their own world. Anyway, this week's guest is John Amarego. John uh, comes from Canberra, and I classify him as a scale modeler. He got really has a great tale to tell. He's been very involved in aero modeling for a long time, and uh, really put his hand up and and driven a lot of initiatives, especially in that that uh, Canberra region. You know, starting clubs and another club and. Uh, we talk a lot about the new club that he's involved in. He's on Facebook as multiple different names, Joe Nass, N-A-A-S, and he'll tell us how that name came about and that sort of Facebook page. And But, uh, yeah, there's a big takeaway in this in this uh, discussion as well. It has nothing to do with uh, model flying, but you will hear what it's all about. It's something to do with field maintenance that I really fell in love with the concept. So uh, I hope you do as well. So over to my chat with John Amarago. Well, we're going up to the the country's capital city in Canberra this week uh, because we have John Amarego joining me. John, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to, to uh, talk about my life in era modelling. That is true. Well, I've tried. I tried to get you on earlier, but you had COVID. Yes, uh, it it knocked me around. So everyone get vaccinated because without being vaccinated, if it hits you any harder than it hit me, it's it's not good. Well, you the well, I've had a run of sick guests at the moment. Uh, had Heath McDonald on last week, and he um or a few weeks ago, and he had um he he was in the midst of COVID or just getting over COVID. The week prior to that, I had uh, somebody else that was struggling with hay fever, John Carney. And so we're getting used to people not being well, but it's good to see that you're, you're back on deck. We did postpone this interview, but you're here now. Now, let's get into it. Where did your journey in aero modelling begin? Um, I guess probably about 1972 in England. Um, we, My father used to go on sabbatical leave every five years. So when I was about nine years old, um, we went over to England and, you know, in some of the hobby shops there, they just had all sorts of things that were just so inspiring to a young kid. And and I saw that Cox 049 P51 control line uh, aircraft, and I just had to have one of those. So so I bought one, and, you know, at the age of about nine, I, I one morning I started up in the back garden, and everyone came running out to think what to see what that noise was. And, and I was just so, del- you know, delighted to be able to have, started something got, got something alive got an engine running and that sound of that little 049 engine and the smell and and it was a you know bitterly cold winter's winter's day and and you could just see that red exhaust glow coming from that engine and, and that just really fascinated me so i guess from a really young age i, I love that concept of a of an engine breathing fire and and you being able to control something like that so 
that was kind of my initial start. Um, and, and then sort of when we came back from, from England, I, I played around when I was about 11 years old with a, with a 1.5cc um, diesel engine. I used to mix my own fuels and, and that was control line as well, flying, trying to fly control line. I don't know why they call it control line. I, I never did control one of those planes. I just got dizzy, really. <laughs> but um, it was interesting that that 1.5cc diesel came from from the Isle of Man in England where they run the Super TT races and uh, that's where they made the, those DC Douglas engines. Um, yeah, so then I, I went on and I started building more control line planes. Um, I had a, a Satan. It was a it was a flying wing. That wasn't too successful. I had a Cougar. And we had more success with that. And uh, one day a friend of mine said, oh, can I borrow your plane? I'm going flying with some mates, so I don't know why, but I stupidly lent it to him and it came back in a million bits and the motor never ran again from that day forward. So that was my initial start with with sort of planes um, and things mechanical. I always liked pulling things apart um, and I always liked playing with electronics and I guess moving on later years into aerobotting, I guess that mixture of internal combustion, electronics, receivers, um, you know, the science and technology of flight and all those sorts of things just kind of inspired me. So I guess from the age of 12 to probably my later teens, I got involved with motorcycles heavily, racing dirt bikes and modifying dirt Wait bikes a again. When was this? How old were you? Um, 77 or 74 was when I had, when I had well, 74, 75 is when I got my first motorcycle. It was a Honda Mini Trail. Um that was my first bike. And then 1977 was a big year for me. It was the first year that the Honda put out the Red Devil XR75. It was just an iconic little bike in those days. And, of course, yeah, the two-strokes were coming along, um, getting very difficult to compete with them. So I then raced in open class where we fully modified these things. So they're running on methanol. And every weekend we'd break a crankshaft or we'd break something. But but that taught me how to tune things, taught me all about engines, taught me all about those sorts of things, which, of course, is another thread with aerobonding where, you know, you've just got the most fascinating engines, the four-stroke four multi-cylinder and supercharged engines. It's, it's, um, it's that model engineering stuff really, really has tickled my fancy. So then, okay, so you flying control line, you get into motorbikes, you still flying control line, or when did you get into radio control? When did that sort of start to happen? So um, I tried to get into radio control about 1983, you know, after I'd finished university, you know, I'd go to some of the local clubs here and spend all day sort of, you know, looking and hoping someone would sort of say, oh, this is what you've got to do to join, but never had a lot of luck. So I got into remote control boats for a while. I used to race the OS-61 Marines and stuff like that. Um, and, and I did buy myself a trainer and, and put it together myself and, and had a fly of it and smashed it all over the place and, rebuilt it so i really didn't have a lot a lot of luck with air modeling there wasn't much of a community here in canberra or a community or i didn't have any friends or i didn't know anybody that was into this sort of stuff and and my parents while they supported me and let me do those sorts of things um you know it wasn't something that um, they were sort of interested in getting involved with so so really i didn't start um, into remote control until i actually um, at about 1995, actually. Um, so from those years of leaving school, university, uh, I worked in private industry, sort of working, you know, 60, 70 hours a week, really busted my 
backside, um, you know, building cars and all sorts of stuff. But in 19, in 1995, I actually joined the public service. Um, so I left my, you know, uh, uh, public or private industry sort of work and got a job in the public service. And, and I met a, a gentleman there called, um, Lee Warland. Um, lovely, lovely man. He's still alive. He flies down Melbourne way. And, I know, um, I know Lee Warland. Yeah, lovely. Guy. He's the anyway, president of um, club that I'm a member of down the Ballerine Peninsula. Yes, yes, yes. So, so when I first started working there, I said oh, I was always interested in you know flying microtrol planes, and and he said, well, yeah, he's been doing that for years. And I said, oh, geez, I would I would just love it so much if if you could show me what you do or teach me. And and he just took me under his wing, and we spent weekend after weekend with him, you know teaching me to fly, you know, sharing the transmitter, no, no buddy box arrangement. And, and I learned to fly gliders. Um, I learned to fly on a gentle lady. Um, and just weekend after weekend, I can still hear Lee, you know, he's really good instructor, you know, nose up, nose up, nose up. He would always be that audio in your ear. And so even today when I'm, when I'm flying, I'm sure I hear him in the background. Um, so that, that was just really, really, really good that Lee took me on. And, and gave me that one-on-one, um, you know, uh, training. And that that really, um, I think, set me quite well because getting involved with gliders, you know, has taught me that, you know, flying slow and flying on the stall, flying Tiger more slowly, you know, I just love that side of the hobby. I, I love going flat out too, but there's a lot of art and skill to be able to fly really slowly and make a plane look like it's flying the scale of speed it is. I mean, if you're flying a one-third scale, um, swap with pup, you know, 100 miles an hour is their flat out speed. So a third of that is, is, is their speed. So you're talking pretty slow speeds. So anyway, um, so Lee got me involved and we joined a, a club in Canberra after a while, after Lee had taught me to fly. It was a, an electric, uh, flight club in Canberra. It used to fly off a, over the, in Corwell. It was just electric gliders and, and we were just doing bungee launches everywhere. And, and I said to Lee, you know, you ever thought of getting into power? And he said, oh, yeah, I used to do power. So so I sort of convinced him to jo- join the Nomadji Sports Flyers Club, which is another club in Canberra. So probably joined that about 96. And I stayed with the Nomadji Sports Flyers Club from about 96 to about 2013 or so, probably 16 years or something. And, um, you know, I was the president for a long time. And uh, I enjoyed that club. We used to fly a lot of... Um, World War One aircraft. We used to do a World War One pageant. Uh, we used to run a, a, an event between all the clubs in Canberra, where we would have a scout rally each year, and it would be held at different clubs. and And, and there was a really good um, atmosphere there of, of clubs pulling together to, to have these great events. So, so that was the Nomadji Sports Flyers Club. And, and whilst I was um, uh, the president of Nomadji Sports Flyers Club, I also started the shop um, Nitro Dude. Um, and that enabled me to, to um, you know, get um, model engines down to our club and put on a model engines day. And, and, and we really had the, the club um, thriving back then. We had up to 100 members. Well, so what, what year was this now? So that was 97 to 2013. Yeah, you ran so, the, you ran the yeah, Nitro so, Dude business. So why did you... Dabble in the industry side, having a, a shop. It was a retail. It was a retail store, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a retailer when it was aircraft only. Well, the main reason was we had a great hobby shop here in Canberra, um, Manera Models, 
And and it was pretty clear to me once you kind of got past the 40 size trainer, maybe 60 size ARF, um, the model shop in Canberra kind of really didn't support the, the next level in the hobby. And and the hobby was starting to move, you know, in, in the early 90s. It was starting to move into, you know, bigger planes and, and all that sort of stuff. And I really wanted to, to get involved with that. And, you know, I used to do the pilgrimage every year down to Shepparton and, and, and try to drag as many people as I could could with me. And, uh, you know, it was quite a drive to Shepparton. So for a lot of years I never flew there because it was just such an effort to drive down there and and um, and then drive back, you know, not being able to take, you know, days off either side of the weekend for, for work. So it was quite a, quite a long haul. Um, and, and so I felt that, you know, in Canberra, to, if we were to grow the community, we, we needed that access to, to, to sort of the newer, um, more, more sort of boutique or specialized sort of airframes and support that. And so, um, that's, that's why I started Nitrogen pretty much to, um, to, to try to really support those that wanted to build. So, so Nitro Dude hev- heavily stocked with all the bits and pieces you need to make stuff. I ran laser cutters. I, I used to run training courses on Saturday afternoons on, on, you know, stalls and spins and things like that. And people would say, Oh, I had never realized, you know, high speed stall and stuff like that. And I would teach people how to cover planes in acetate and, and, and try to teach them some of the, the aspects of error modeling where you kind of get a bit stuck if you're just trying to build ARF and just trying to build with film and stuff like that. Once you can use other materials that are readily available that enable you to spray the plane any color you want, uh, you just all of a sudden have this freedom that you, you can just take on um, any project you want because you're not stuck trying to find the plastic film or, 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 the, or the bit you need. So that's kind of where why Nitrogen took off is to try to really support um, the people that were really passionate about air modeling. And so we did things like, you know, had a really big indoor activity. We would run, you know, every, nearly every weekend, uh, had big numbers used to turn up to the indoor. In fact, I think um, model uh, O'Reilly's used to say that we, we had the greater sale of indoor aircraft than, than any shop in, in Australia for quite some time. So, yeah, we just used to be carnage. There were just that many planes up at one time. It was uh, it was a lot of fun and a lot of experimentation too because we used to import a whole little bits and pieces, really small servos, muscle wire servos, those sorts of things. And so we had quite a few school kids and that experimenting with uh, canard-type aircraft. We, we would build our own um, indoor flying wings. So we'd, you, I, I built a um, CNC foam cutter So and people would come around to my – my home, you know, once a week and we'd have build nights and we're just kind of driving that community. So, um, and just Nitro Dude was part of that. So I'm not quite sure how I did all of that in those days, but I was um, burning the candle at every end. Oh, yeah. you, you also sold helis, didn't you? Yeah, we sold helicopters. So I had a business partner, Paul Sanders, still a really good friend of mine. He was riding for the heli. So he, he you know, he, he had all the heli stuff there as well, Kyosho and, all all sorts of stuff. The 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 heli bits were 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 a big part of the shop, um, and uh, I think Paul was our biggest customer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I never got on. I never really got into the dark side. I had quite a few bad experiences trying to fly helicopters. Um, you know, flicking the wrong switch and and it going into a full three D mode and stuff like that. So 
Yeah, the helicopters, I mean, I, I, I like the little indoor drones and stuff like that, but helicopters kind of, I've never really gelled with it too, too well. I, I like something flying on the wing. Yeah, look, I, I, I like helis and I can fly helis basically, um, but uh, it's just like one of those things, it's hard to do both well uh, unless you've spent a lot of time on both and, and I, I'm sort of committing myself to the to the planks at the moment. But I, I love, I've got a helicopter sitting there in my office that I love looking at because I love the look of the RC helis, especially the big ones that sitting there look great. But uh, yeah, I am um, helping a friend of mine in Canberra for a while. You know, there's some really good machinists in Canberra, and, and I run quite an elaborate machine shop here too. It's part of a wildlife hobby because it enables me to use my 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 workshop to build whatever I really want. But so a, f- a friend of mine uh, really keen on helicopters, so we would take an Airfix helicopter and I would digitize it for him, and then he'd go and build like a four meter router bed and 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 route the digitized helicopter out of foam. It'd take about 24 hours or so, and then he'd pr- produce the um the plug from that fusel from the from that um that foam, and then make the fiberglass shell. So making really big, um, you know, uh, helicopters, machining all the head himself, uh, machining the the mold to be able to lay up the, the the rotors and all that sort of stuff, and 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 setting it up so that it could run gas turbines and. And um, you did a fair bit of experimentation running an electric motor, running the same gearbox so that you could weigh this helicopter up and put it on a, an umbilical cord and you could run um, the rotor speed at a certain amount and run the pitch at a certain amount to try to find the sweetest RPM for the configuration you've got. So when you then go and put a turbine in it, you know what gearbox to put in there. Oh, gee. So it's all, all really good fun. That's a um, lot of work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of work goes into some of the scale planes too, and and I guess it's like anything. It's like project management. When you first look at a project, if you looked at all the things you had to do, you just wouldn't bother doing it. But you take each little bit as a, as a project. You know, like I love doing really nice instrument panels. I, I love doing those sorts of things. And and if you work on a, a range of projects whilst you're building a plane, there's always one thing that you think is too difficult and you don't want to do it. And, and then you work on something else and that becomes very hard. So, so then you swap back to what used to be what you thought was difficult and it becomes easy. So, and then by the time you know it, the project's finished. And uh, yeah, it's just, I just love that project. Delivering, delivering, making, constructing something is, is fun. And then, then being able to fly it. So, yeah, that is true. That is true. Now, so Nitro dude, dude were you working full time or part time in that? Well, I, I worked full time in in the public service and then ran ran Nitra Dude. Um, so we had Paul. Paul was in it full time for a while. His wife was in it full time for a while. So the shop always ran full time, but I would be sort of balancing everything at night, uh, working Saturdays in the shop. Uh, of course, when you went out to the field, you were still working because people would come and be asking you questions left, right, and centre. So um, yeah, it was a and and I just used to love. Just really love going to Toy Fair down in Sydney or Melbourne. You know, we, we used to go there once a year and I just love seeing the new products. So, yeah, you know, just like a kid in a candy candy store, you know, I just couldn't help myself buying the latest bits, you know, it's just really good fun. Yeah. Now, and then Nitro Dude stopped, what, 2013? Yeah, about 13, 14, I think, yeah. Why'd you pull the pin on Nitro Dude? Uh, well, it was doing quite well in terms of sales, but you know your markup's so low in that industry. And then Hobby King came along, and then you know people probably in Canberra probably saturated the Canberra market. 
with aircraft. Um, we, we had a lot of um, interstate sales too, but it, it, we were just getting squeezed out where it just wasn't worth the, the squeeze anymore. See. Um, yeah, I talk about this really- a fair bit. It's, it's, a hard, it's a hard business. It's funny how... A lot of people look at hobby shops and think, oh, these people make a fortune out of it. And I always say, no, but he's making a lot of money. But it's interesting to see now that Hobby King has sh- is shutting their Australian warehouse. So yeah, obviously yeah. they're succumbing to uh, pressures as well. Well, it's, it's funny because they were the ones that put a hell of a lot of pressure on us because all of a sudden the prices of everything dropped, everyone started going to Hobby King. Uh, and now they've almost destroyed the market themselves. Um it's, it's you know what's interesting though, I, I got the email from them saying they're shutting their Australian store and they're not going to restock. And I thought, I wonder if there's anything that I need because I, <laughs> I would, I'd buy batteries from them now and again, and 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 yeah. battery connectors and and you know little, little consumables like that. But I gave up buying. Well, I didn't, never really bought many planes from them or anything at all. Maybe a couple of things in my entire lifetime. But uh, but um, yeah, they were good for the Knicks and Knacks. They were good for the Knicks. Yeah, Knicks and Knacks exactly. And yeah. and. So I'd buy, literally it was bat, mainly batteries is what I got from them. And anyway, um, I went and had a look and there's actually nothing that I want from them that I couldn't get from someone yeah. else that I'd rather buy from someone else. But there's just literally, you've, we've watched that business sort of drop and drop and drop with all the froth and bubble at the start. And they did change the industry dramatically, but um, where they've basically been pulled right back by just the market in a kind of way. And um, it's interesting how... Some of the strong players, the, the, the you know the model flights of the world, um, you know, and the desert aircrafts and Aubrey RC and a few of those are still. They'll probably improve their business now. With yeah, that, probably with, doing, with doing very well. I mean, uh, one really sad thing is, uh, I I just had such fond memories of being able to go into my local hobby shop, catching up with mates, talking t- the talk. You know, you'd spend three or four hours in the shop. I guess when I owned a shop, that was difficult because you had people spend yeah. you know all day there. But but that was fun. We 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 made some really good friends through through people that would just want to hang around and smell. Smell the castor oil in the shop, you know. Yeah. Well, I I started three D Hobby Shop Australia selling the three D Hobby Shop range of planes, and 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 I had the same thing that like there are still friends of mine that were customers. You know, there's there's heaps of them that we became, you know, a little family that you know yeah. like minded individuals, and and then I ran events and stuff like that, which further cemented all that, and we still have got a connection today. So that that's the upside, I suppose, financially. It's a lot of work for not a lot of return, but um, but you gave it a good crack, and it sounds like you really helped the development of the hobby in that Canberra region, um, a fair bit through that time period as well, which is good to see. And what, what what's left now as far as hobby shops in Canberra? Uh, there's none at all in Canberra now. There's there's no hobby shops. Aubrey's the closest one because we had you had Monaro, and then but was it Cole Taylor was he nearby? But that that was that was Mon- Monero as well. Terry yeah. had bought Cole Taylor out. So. That's right. Yeah, I remember yeah. dealing with Terry. So, um, you know, that makes it fairly difficult for people. That's why, you know, if you look at a lot of the clubs now, a lot of it is Hobby King sort of stuff, the readily available things. You know, some of the, some of the clubs that kind of you know look like they've gone backwards, not really progressed into bigger and better things. Um, just because we suffer a bit of that that small town syndrome. Um, you know, I used to go to Shepparton and just come back absolutely awe-inspired of what I'd seen. And and for some people, it, it, it's disheartening to see those sorts of aircraft. And, and you know, in Canberra, you don't often get to see really nice big planes flying around. Um, it's one of those things so, I think um, you breed this culture. It's like 
you know what you know when you've seen it kind of thing. And that's why I always encourage people to get out to events because it broadens your horizons and it broadens your, your scope in the hobby as well. Uh, yeah. You know, if you go and stick to cheap foamies all the time, then you're going to get to a point where you're going, look, it's just another cheap foamy. Uh, you know, maybe I want to, you know, either get bored and get out of it or your other option is to progress and start trying to build a kit or grab a ARF, build a bigger plane. And, you know, we all started with small stuff and then ended with big stuff, didn't we? It's just they get bigger and bigger as we go yeah. along. And, of course, all roads lead to turbines, as I always say. And, again, if you've never seen a turbine jet fly, it's pretty unlikely that you're going to go and buy a turbine. I mean, you know, when, when people when people come and spectate and see that sort of end of the hobby, it, it's got to, uh, I believe, excite them. Um, but if they go to a, a field and they're just flying, you know, foam, they've got nothing wrong with foam. But 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 it's it, you know, people say, oh, it's not really what it's cracked up to be. And and what tends to happen too, um, I think people don't develop their skills that well if they're always flying something that they can just easily replace. You, you need to be growing your skills in this hobby. You should never stay static. Uh, you need to get those skills. And, and I know people say to me, how could you even uh, how could you even allow that thing to fly after all that effort you've put in? Well, well you do because you know it's 100% right and you know you've got the skills to bring it home safe. Um, whereas they might have the mentality that you know, they're smacking one in every weekend because it's foam. It's, uh, you know, easy come, easy go. And they really haven't learned the art. And, and I, I sort of, Consider it a little bit like World War One pilots. You know, when they were first um, flying, there wasn't proper training schools, and people were dying left, right, and centre until they started to, you know, formalise the training. And pilots started to get better because they were learning from all the mistakes others had made. If you don't have the right culture in a club, uh, you, you, people aren't progressing, and they're not learning. You know, what a high speed stall is. They're not learning how downwind turns can bite you. They haven't got somebody that's always saying. Well, you know what you did wrong then, you know what I mean, uh, in, an, in a proper way. So that they yeah, can I think there's – it's interesting when, when you think about foamies in the hobby, and, and we've all had them, and the way that I, that I, that I sort of view foamies is I'll, I'll have like um, foamy profile planes that I'll use either indoor or for 3D practice low down or something like that in a, in a smaller area. But – then I've got other foamies that I that I got given when I had my magazine and um, you know for test cases and all that kind of stuff and they just sort of might sit there. The the fact of the matter is is that you've either got a foamy that's really light like a profile three D foamy or you've got a a bigger scale cub like kind of thing that actually starts to get a bit heavy for its power and yeah and they don't either one doesn't fly what I would say as well as what a plane can fly like when compared to something like a Bolsa built up model, right? That, yeah. you know, when you go fly from flying a foamy to a 30 CC aerobatic plane, well, the 30 CC aerobatic plane, it just flies better. Uh, it's, it's more sophisticated in its flight characteristics than these foamies and foamies of course can be a lot of fun, but, um, and, and they can really, especially with aerobatics, they can teach you a little bit if you're doing 3D and stuff like that. They can build up some confidence and dexterity in your fingers flying those kind of planes. But flying them precisely is always going to be a challenge. If you want to fly well, I think you've got to get into balsa and larger stuff as well nowadays, you know, the 30cc size kind of stuff. And I've noticed a difference in the nature of a hobbyist that sticks to foam. 
they don't yeah. they often don't progress they don't go to events they're not interested in progressing and improving their flying skill and okay they might they go to the field and they have fun as long as they're having fun that's okay but what i yeah. also have found at some of these clubs that are very much that oriented it's mayhem it's just, it's it's a different culture where it because they're just there to have fun the rule book gets thrown out of the window so there's more mid-air collisions that you've ever seen in your life there's more planes going in every every weekend and it just becomes a bit sort of like anarchy do whatever you want um, because hey we're just going to go and have fun um, yes. whereas other clubs are a bit more sophisticated and have a bit more structure to keep to, to stop that kind of behavior um, so I get concerned about some of those clubs to be honest yeah, um, I've been mad enough whenever I've crashed a plane, it doesn't matter how bad it is, I've usually put it back together and, like, rebuilt the whole thing. And the beauty about fiberglass and balsa and wood is it doesn't matter what you've done to it, you built it, you can put it back together, you can make it as good as it ever was, whereas I've always found when you have a foam plane, once you've damaged it a bit, you know, it's pretty difficult to get it to look as nice as it, as it used, used to be. And, and, and some of them are really nice these days. It's just a little bit harder to, to do that. So... Um, we, we need a 3D foam printer so that um, you know you can digitize your phone bit and 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 remanufacture it and then the problem will be solved, I guess. Well, uh, there's only I've got only one problem with that, John. I, <laughs> I recently crashed my Viper Jet uh, turbine, and um, there's no hope in hell I could have rebuilt that model. It was confetti. Everything up to the tailplane. The tailplane's in really good condition. It's not it hasn't got a scratch on it because it went in nose first. And the energy had dissipated by the time I got to the tail section. So I've actually got the tail section. I cut it with a Dremel off not, so it's nice and neat. And I've got it yeah. sitting on a shelf um, in my in my office. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I didn't believe that fiberglass could end up in so many pieces. It was amazing. Yeah, that's, that's no good. No, it's all right. We're going to get, get Those another things one. happen. That, Those that's, things happen. that's part and parcel of it, really. Yeah. It's rare that someone can go through their entire career without losing a decent model. We've all done it before, and uh, just hopefully we don't do it very often. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, the Canberra community here, you know, we, we uh, they ran Bo Wiley for a few years, and that just showed me how you can bring people down to Canberra and make very successful events. Uh, the Dick Smith Bo Wiley events were fantastic. They were they're really, really good at showcasing era models. What were so, they? Tell us a bit about them. I haven't heard of them. So um, 2008, um, maybe it was the year before as well, Dick Smith invited, um, it was New South Wales, um, Kinane, the guy, Kinane, New South Wales guy, he he organised it. And so it was like a shepherd, but, but at Dick Smith's property, and he opened up his runway. We, we had 100 or more pilots um, one of my club members had his steam ticket, so Dick Smith allowed him to to run the steam train all weekend, ferrowing people around the, the property. Um, we had a big dinner. We, we raised about $15,000 for local school and fire, um, and it was just really, really good to see that, you know, that was happening in, right in our back door in Canberra. And it, was, it was really, really, really good. So I guess that's kind of one of the reasons I wanted to start my own club is so that I had a bit of a control of being able to run events like that. And, and that's how I sort of initially started the, um, the NAS club, the National Era Modern and Aviator Society here in Canberra. Yeah, so tell us a bit about that because that's an interesting story in itself that you, you went out and started a club. Why? Yeah, well, um, I guess um, I was the president of Magi for quite some time. It's a little club down the road. Um, we were running quite a few good events. But it was clear that, you know, we had a field there that had a hill, had a dam, had trees. Uh, it was quite a difficult field 
for you to fly anything bigger than about a 40 or 60 size aircraft safely, especially if you put a lot of time and effort into it. And I started to fly things like, you know, quarter scale tiger moths and stuff like that. And, and you know, some of the members said, oh, we, we don't want mammoth planes here. You know, they're getting too big. So, so I decided, oh, well, time to move on. And so I decided to start a club. And, and the whole idea of the club was to, right from the start, to make sure it was a club where we were getting people that were really signed on to aeromodeling, you know, trying to get the right people, those that were passionate about it that really lived and breathed it. Um, and for a while we did pretty well, you know, three, four, five years. We we ran four or five major events, national events a year, air racing, uh, big electric gliders, uh, big aero toes, uh, pretty much collecting people from all around Australia. Um, the Canberra community never really uh, bothered to, to come or support it. They're just happy, you know, at their own fields, I guess. Um, and that was that 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 was re- really really good, but uh, you know after a while it just became too much work for me because I wasn't getting that much assistance from everybody, and you know it started to get to a stage where members didn't want to run events or get involved in events anymore, um, and 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 I was sort of saying well you know that's how we fund all of this, and and so it got to a stage where there were a few safety issues, and I just thought look they're not listening to me, I I I can't do this anymore, so I kind of walked away from that club. Um, and, uh, you know, within about six months, the club had disappeared and imploded anyway. So, um, I had the, the farmer ring me up saying, you know, I've got a field here, John, you know, what do you want to do with it? And so we started with blank earth again and Chris, a friend of mine and, and Diane, my, my partner and, um, and my daughter and one or two others kind of got in there and we built it, um, up again and we've got a fantastic facility there and. And, and, and we're back to running events and back to inviting people down to our field. So, but this is, it's a bit of a different sort of setup because it's basically your field kind of thing. Yes, it's my field. I mean, I've bankrolled the whole thing. You know, we've got a massive clubhouse there. We've got showers. We've got toilets. We've got, we've got heaters. We, we've got balconies. We've got, I've, I've built, um, cook, uh, you know, um, out of 44 gallon drums, we, 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 we cook roast lamb dinners for people. So when people come to an event at our field, we, we cater, we, we have dinners, we, we, we run, we, we run all the food for people so they can just come and enjoy themselves. So at lunchtime, we'll stop flying and everyone will sit down and we'll, we'll have a really nice lunch. We, we'll cook pizzas. We'll, they really go away being fed really well and um and and a very social side of the club where you know we we all get together when we eat and all, all have a have a great time um the the club it's the field's nested in a, in a natural valley and uh it's just so picturesque you know whenever you get photos of the plains you've got the backdrop of the mountains and the hills oh, in the I'm background looking at it now and it looks amazing yeah it, it's really really good so it's kind is it, of is what it an I call, AAA club or yeah, it's MAAA. Yep, yep. We've always been MAAA. So we're we're Aero Models New South Wales in Canberra ACT. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, we're trying to set up that set up the environment like I kind of did before, where you know I used to go around to all the clubs in Australia, look at look at how they were set up, and and so what we have there is if you've got your big trailer and your big planes, you park your trailer along that kind of flight line area. And you can operate out of your trailer. So you've got your shade, you've got your fridge, you've got all of that sort of stuff. We still maintain the 30-meter rule, all the safety stuff's done, but you don't have to park your 
you, you trailer, you know, 100 meters, 200 meters away and walk all your stuff, all your stuff up to, to, to where you can start to set up. So it's really set up for, for people that, that enjoy the hobby and have, have their trailers and their motor homes and all that sort of stuff. So, um, we've got, um, off grid mains there. We've got fridges, freezers. Um, and so if people need to charge, um, everything's, everything's there. Well, it's a um, nice, um, it's a nice little spot. I'm just having a look at yeah. it now. Um, the website to have a look at is the scaleaviators.org.au if anybody's interested, like uh, I am. Uh, yeah. and, um, yeah, how many how many members have you got? Oh, six. The minimum that you need to have an association, or is it is it? Just... Yes, pretty much. Yeah. Um, what 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 it is is we, we've got the club formed. It's it's all appropriately formed. And what what happens is we get a lot of people coming and flying. Well, not a lot. We get you know five, six, seven people every now and again come and fly on just general weekends. So we charge them fifteen dollars for a day flying. Yeah. And we provide them lunch. So the lunch will be, you know, a pulled pork roll or, um, you know, steaks, uh, steak sandwich with a lot, uh, for $15. And that covers the, the, you know, the toilets and, and, and the petrol for the, for the mowing and all, all of that sort of stuff. So that's kind of how we, we run it. Um, so they really kind of become an associate and they're an associate by paying their $15. When they come out to fly, it sounds like a good place for you know if people are looking at running events, would you welcome them? Yes, well, we've done that. We we run the air, we've run the air racing there. We we've run um, uh, glider towing there. Um, we we used to run the electric fl- flight rally in Canberra there, fifty sixty people at a time. Um, that worked really well, but you know a lot of members saying, "Oh, what are we doing this for?" Even though they weren't doing all the work. Mm. Um, but, you know, that's kind of what funds it, makes the club alive. I mean, I want to be part of a club that's alive, that's doing things, that's proactively supporting the hobby. Um, if you look at our website, you'll see a whole heap of pull-down menus of past and previous uh, events. You'll have a look at the the range of people that come. We even had a guy come from Japan. I mean, you know, Dave Gull came all the way from Queensland. You know, people come down and, and just really enjoy that that more bespoke. Um, we, we call it an Airbnb. Yeah, it is. It's it's a different kind of um, different kind of vibe there. But um, but um, it's a very interesting place actually. And but but see, I think it's pretty much your your field though, isn't it? So you can you've got, I suppose, compared to other kind of operations, you've got a bit more control over over the well, place. Well, I, I I needed that because I put so much effort into the last club and then walked away from it after we'd had. You know, forty, fifty thousand dollars worth of assets. I used to take a week off every Christmas to to do bunning sausage sizzles, whereas I, I should should have just you know handed them a week's salary. Right, would yeah. have been better off for me. Um, you know, and so when that when when that club sort of went when, when we when we parted, then all of those assets and all that effort that I had put in was just completely and utterly lost. And and life's too short. And I wasn't going to ever be in a position where that would happen again. And so now we've protected it. Uh, it's a bit of a dictatorship, but but I, you know, if, if you know me, you know me, and and you know I I'm there for the right reasons, and, and I'm, I'm I'm fair, and just want to make sure the right thing's done. So uh, I'm really keen. So is is Chris and Diane to make sure that we maintain this this concept of a a lovely place to come and fly. And um, you know I I've only recently retired, and and always dreamed of being able to retire into a, a flying facility that I could just thoroughly enjoy. Um, 
and make sure that it just goes and from from better to better. So, um, yeah, we, we certainly have a lot of people that are regulars that come down for just about every event that we run, and they just love it. Um, we, we're in the middle of a national park there, so we've got 1,800-foot ceiling. Um, we can make as much noise as we like. There's no one within Kui. At, at night, the stars are just spectacular. Um, you know, if we do night flying there, um, the, the field's just a, a really nice field, and we chose it specifically um, so that it was a field that you could effectively take off in every direction, and it was a field where uh, if you wanted to test fly something that you spent years building, that's the place to do it because you can land anywhere uh, in in that area. Yeah, what's the what's the strip like? Is it is it pretty smooth? It's very smooth. Yeah, so we we have a um, we've got a um, a, a big four-wheel drive, uh, four-litre diesel tractor. So we slash, you know, most of the field with that, but we run an electric robotic mower. Okay. And the mo- robotic mower goes out there and mows um, the, the taxiway and, and the strip. So um, that just autonomously does that and goes and charges itself when it's flattened. Oh, really? And just Keeps that going there. So we, we've replaced the mower man with with an electronic robot. How, how does that go? Like uh, that's that's interesting. I've I've never seen. I've I've heard of them, but how does it cope with with the space? Yeah. Well, um, you know, there's a few times where we've had difficulty because the you know if we haven't been on the field for a while because of weather and the grass has got long, if we slash it and and, and just rake it, then then the mower is good because it just keeps going out there and. And, and keeps cutting all the time. So, so it keeps it, you know, better than your lawn. Um, and, and, uh, you know, you just keep replacing the blades with the special razor blades. And I buy, you know, 200 of them at a time for, for next to nothing. And, and so it just goes out there and does it. So there's a perimeter wire that marks out the whole strip and the taxiway. And it just goes and it stays within that perimeter wire and you can set zoning. So it can go out at midnight. It can go, go out it, it, anytime you like. You just schedule it. And are they waterproof? Um, yeah, it's fully waterproof, and, and when it, if it rains, it comes in, um, goes and parks itself. What in its brand own is it? Garage. I'm looking now. It's, I'm, I'm on the internet having a look. You'll see a picture there. When we had Christmas in July, we, we actually stuck some uh, two nice big round Christmas um, decorations on it. So, and and what we've done in the past is um, we put headlights on it. So at night, when it's out in the field, you can sit there having a beer or a squat shot, sitting on the balcony watching this thing meander around uh, mowing the strip so it's, it's quite is it an fun. expensive thing to, to operate or to, to, to own and operate it costs nothing to operate because it's all solar powered i mean yeah. it plugs into our um clubhouse and recharges itself and goes goes back out so um it, it really is a, a beautiful i'd like to get a couple of them actually um but it, it does solve that problem where you know we can be rest assured that the, the strip is really well tended with with the mower like that, it's, um... it's well. It, it intrigues me because one of the biggest challenges, is, and you sort of talked about this earlier, how it's hard to find people to help to run a club, and as time goes on, I think people are less inclined to assist, whether that be at an association level, club level, and that kind of stuff. So, yep. adopting technology such as you know automated mowing technology could end up being. A, a solution to that problem. Yes, there's going to be a cost to purchase it, and of course maintenance of it. But that unattended ability to, to cut the strips and and is it do, is there is it GPS driven or 
how does it know where to go? You can get GPS ones, but this has a wire that, that's in the ground that we had to lay. You know, it's about 200, 300 metres of okay, wire. Okay, yeah. And, it uh, just... and so that has, that's a sensing wire. And um, there, was, there was a few times I'd actually lost the mile because I was working on, we've got um, off-grid solar farm there that powers all, all our clubhouse. And once or twice I was working on that and I was turning the mains on and off. And I hadn't realised when I turned the mains off, it actually turns off that perimeter wire sensing signal. And so then I go and look and go, Where, where's, where's the mower? Where's the mower? And, and everyone goes, oh, I don't know. And so we would then, you know, spend two hours going all the way around the paddock trying to find where this mm. mower's gone because it didn't know where the perimeter wire was. So it just kept on mowing. Um, and we thought, oh, it's gone in the dam or wherever. But, um, you know, it, it, it tends, you can set it so that when its Wi-Fi signal from its station gets too weak, it, it, it stops. So it just ended up stopping in the middle of the paddock. But I hadn't quite realised that. So there was a couple of times where I thought I'd lost it. God knows where this mower had gone. Jim, I found, I found the photo of it. Yeah, we, we have to tell people, be very careful. Don't, don't park your aircraft in the taxiway. <laughs> yeah. Because if it's a foamy, there may be nothing left. And and we actually we actually um if we, we ask people if it's okay, not when we have an event normally, but when we're out there on weekends flying, we normally let the mower just go and 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 people learn to um look at its trajectory and go, Oh, I'll go around and I'll come and land and, and they just let it let it go. We we've only ever had one guy hit the mower and, and the mower won. Uh, that's, yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> the um I, I, look, well, I know this is an era modeling podcast, but we are we are venturing to different areas. I said a few episodes ago that we're going to start a marriage counseling or relationship uh, advice in the, in the podcast. But um, you know, I'm just having a look at this because it just intrigues me as as a potential solution for a lot of a lot of smaller clubs. To um, I'm looking at the Husqvarna, yeah, uh, robotic oh, lawn mowers as an option, and they've got different solutions depending on the area that you need to cut, like a thousand square meter capable thing 2039 so we've been running ours for two two years now and um and, and it's been really really good if it died tomorrow i'd go oh jesus it's paid for itself right um yeah so that true. works really well. um on our on our website you'll also see a whole heap of pull down menus that that show um members planes which um which shows quite a few aircraft but also there's a body of knowledge there where i'm trying to put together um very useful um, articles for people and we've got the Bolly book if you know about the Bolly books on there the old Bolly book mm. um, and, and links to those sorts of things so it, it's quite useful well you used to um, I know I know your name from Airborne magazine um, yeah that you were I did a, a Airborne regular... and the other one as well us RCM, RCM News yes I might have been under Joe Mass with that or um yeah, and so how did that all kick off? That your involvement in in writing for magazines? Oh, they just asked me. I mean, it was a, it was a, um, it was. I just did it for the love of it. I mean, there wasn't no pay involved, but I just, I used to get so many people, you know, come up and say, "Oh, how did you do this? How did you do that? How did you do this?" So you'd end up not being able to spend any time flying. So, so, so I started to document those articles, and and so you know, people ask me, "Oh, how did you cover your plane?" I go, "Well, have a look at that." article or have so so it it it, it kind of freed me up from being able to go through it and i'm more than happy to talk to people about the basic concepts but 
but um, you know how to use acetate covering, how to spray, how to do scale detail, how to do stitching, just so that they can go and look at that. And I've got a lot of friends go and look at it, and and they might come and ask me a few questions afterwards. But it it, it saves that you know again another two hour um, training uh, on on how to do something. So it's kind of just a body of knowledge, um, which I think is quite useful. One of the things I've really enjoyed doing is trying to um, use sort of, sort of more modern techniques and technologies in error modeling. Uh, not to say that the old te techniques are bad. I still use them. It's always difficult to work out. Do I see and see that computer? Can, you know, do I draw it and get the computer to make it or do I draw it by hand? And it's always a difficult call. But, you know, I will draw, you know, a full size Vickers machine gun and then scale it down for whatever scale aircraft I, I, I want to build. So, you know, using those methods, using a micro etching to do your, um, you know, uh, your, your nameplates on your dashes, um, using 3D printers to do your instrument panels where the needles are on pendulums, you know, using laser cutters, using using some of these new modern methods, which are so much more affordable than they ever used to be. Um, you know, my, my machine workshop, most of the machines I bought were, were ones that had no electronics in them, and I've fitted my own stepper motor controllers and things like that. So I can draw a part in, in 3D, visualize it, um, check that it's okay, run a simulation of it being machined, and then send it to the to my 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 you know robots in my garage. And whilst I'm having a coffee, it can make the part. If it's not quite right, you just tweak it and make it again. And um, you know that sort of concept to me has always been really appealing. Yeah. Okay. Now, let's talk about some of the models that you've got in your hangar or that you've built. Can you take me through some of those planes that you currently have? Oh, that's a hell of a long list. Um, <laughs> God. Give me the condensed version. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, um, well, I, I started really, you know, once I got into building, you know, nice planes and that, you know, using the old flare uh, um, kits, so swap with pup, you know, I ran a flare swap with pup. I still got it. I got two or three of those. And, and, and taking one of those kits and adding as much scale detail to it as you can. And those flare um, little swap with pups fly beautifully. And, and that's kind of inspired me to build my one-third Bolsa USA um, swap with pup, which I went to enormous level. I, I actually had the original World War One drawings of a swap with pup and every bit that I had to make that you could see, I replicated as close as I could to the way the real aircraft's made. So if you look at it from every angle, you'll see detail. And, and I love a model that it's sitting there and people walk past it and they do a double take and then they have to look closer and closer and closer. I mean, when you've got the scale detail where, um, you know, the joystick moves, you've got the whole instrument um, panel looks looks right. Uh, I've even got a one-third bottle of scotch in there for the pilot. Hmm. Um, it's that sort of detail. So, um, yeah, I loved World War One aircraft. I've got a quarter-scale DR-1. I just love the way they fly and, 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 um, and you know, you're not just screaming around flat out all the time. Um, I've built a, a Ray Perry uh, SU-26, the Sukhoi. I love that Russian design. So R Ray Perry was a guy up in Queensland who used to do fiberglass kits and used to get the foam cores, and, and I built, you know, a, well, I think it was about a 65-inch version of that in those Proteus Petroleum colour scheme, which I just love. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and then, then I went and built one of Ernie's uh, model design. I've built, uh, I've got I've got one of his one-third uh, SU-26s with a um, 3W twin in it in the Proteus Petroleum colour scheme. Um, again, um, that was a, 
when I wanted to get the stickers cut because it's got Proteus Petroleum advertising all over it. One side, it's upside down because when you fly inverted, it reads right. But I got a quote to get all the lettering done, and and that was like three hundred dollars. So I thought, oh bugger, I'll buy a I'll buy a Roland sticker cutter. So then I was able to cut my own stickers. And then of course, as I made a bigger scale plane, I just scaled up the stickers. Um, so the sticker cutters work well for that for, for doing that sort of final detail. But you can use the sticker cutter to make your mask to do your airbrushing as well. Yeah. So, um, and, the, you know, Ernie used to build quite nice kits. You know, they were quite cheap for what you got. You had to put a lot of build into it. But I'm, I'm just finishing off one of his uh, Cessna 150, 152s, Aerobat there. It's a 3.6-metre uh, Cessna. And, of course, inside that I've done all the internal door handles and, and um, you know, all the internal um, detail. There's, there's even a... Um, a net in the back that has the the miniature, um, you know, the Woolies little plastic toys. Oh, that yeah, you can, yeah, They're all sitting in the back. Um, it's got the complete joysticks. The instrument panel has an LCD in it so that it's got sat-nav. It is all backlit. All the instruments move. Uh, I've done all the rivets on that aircraft. Um, it's, it's nearly finished, but um, I've just caught up with a few other things at the moment that I'm building. Uh, I, I had a, Hangar 9 Tiger Moth that I'd spent years adding little bits and detail to it each year, and it flew so well. Uh, and I lost it a couple of years ago with a, with a radio failure. And and so I've I bought another Hangar 9, and, and I've just stripped it completely down, and I've gone sort of nuts with the scale detail on that too. Mm. And, and I just really, really enjoy They're that. They're a nice plane, those old Hangar 9 uh, Tiger Moths. Oh, they fly so well. I love flying it right on the stall. It's just sitting there, mm. you know, going past you in the strip. Um, one of my favourite aircraft is always the GB, uh, um, you know, geez, yeah. in about 1997, 98, I built my own R2, which ran a YS um, supercharged four-stroke in it. Um, it. They always, I could never not get it to roll when it landed. I'm going to go end over yeah. end. So I, I still fly a GBY. I've got one of Mike Rennell's, um 1 to 2.75 GB fuselages and spats, which I'm really keen to finish. Um, I've got an old Bolly Extra. You know, they were just a beautiful designed aircraft. Um, so the Bolly Extra, um, that runs a BGX um, 35cc OS in it. Um, so um, I, I'm at the moment, I'm flying a uh, World Models Ultimate Bike, um, 27% with a MVVS 58 in it. Um, I still fly a SIG Cub, uh, a quarter-scale Cub. That's got the the OS methanol 50cc twin in it, and I just love it. It's heavy, but it just screams around. I just really, really, really good fun. Mm. So um, I still have a Nemesis. So when um, Jeremy and his guys come down for air racing, I've still got the Jer Nemesis to run. Um, I'm in the middle of building a, a one-third D7 um, Fokker biplane. Mm. Um that's going to have the same level of detail as my um, big swap with pup. Um, so that's coming along nicely. That's got a 120cc twin um, uh, engine ready to go in it. I remember um, Peter Goldsmith always said, you know, you should buy an engine pretty early because at least then you, you're financially committed to the build. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. Um I had a Lysander I used to fly, a Black Horse Lysander with a Sato 60cc. I, I lost that at the last Nationals. I, I had a roadie flight and there was a big rotor and I, I lost it. So I'm really keen to get that up and flying again. 
Um, I've got a Grumman's Ag Cat biplane with a Sato 60cc triple in it. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, um, the list goes on and on. <laughs> um, so it's difficult for me to say uh, what I prefer or what I love. I, I just love it all. I mean, every aircraft flies differently. And, and you know, when you've had a good flight and you can sit back at the end of the day and, and say that was fun, it really doesn't matter what you're flying, whether it's a foamy or indoor plane or anything. You know, it's, uh, it's just all really good fun. Have you have you ever had a turbine jet? No, don't. I, I want a turbine. I'm not going there yet. I have got too, <laughs> too many, too many <laughs> to get get out. I mean, some of the planes I built years ago, I haven't even flown them yet. I mean, running clubs and stuff like that just took so much of my time. But wait a second, you're retired now, aren't you? Yes. I, I saw the note on Facebook saying that you're retired. Congratulations. Yes, yeah, thank you. It sounds like you're too young to retire, though. No, no, I'm in a fantastic position. I love it. I'm just doing everything for me at the moment. I mean, I spent years putting more effort and energy into a lot of people that wouldn't even put that energy and effort into themselves. So uh, I'm now really trying to focus on on where I want to go with the hobby. Um, we, um, the other big side of the hobby for me is always having the right trailer and setting your trailers up properly. So that yeah. would be another talk you could have. But uh, we're keen to buy a, a Sprinter Mercedes van and a long wheelbase and deck that out properly and then be able to tow the trailer behind so mm -hmm. I can then go go to other events. I mean, I've always loved to go to other clubs, but, you know, Canberra's a long way away from everywhere and, you know, when you're working and you've got to rush back, it just doesn't work. Yeah, um, that's true. So as I'm retired, we can certainly go around. Well, I think, I think you've got a lot of plans then for your retirement. Yeah, well, the first thing I started doing, I'm riding to motorcycles, always have been, and, and cars as well. But oh, well, You're so an aero modeler, so that goes part and parcel. Yeah, so yeah, you've yeah, got to be so, involved in other motorsports kind of thing. Yeah, so one of the bikes I had years ago when I used to race enduros was an old XT500, the old Thumper four-stroke yeah. 1976, and I've stripped it right down. The frame's been powder-coated. I've just got it re-bored. I've set up my own zinc plating, so I'm re-zinking all the parts. I'm getting bits from here, there, and everywhere. So I'm about three weeks into that build. Um, and once that's out of the way, then I'll get right back into um, into aerobonding. I mean, I can spend 10, 15 hours in the garage and just heaven building stuff. Uh, every now and again, you've got to get out and have a fly, though. So so it's gonna, it sounds like your retirement's going to be uh, a busy period of your life then. It will be busy, yeah. Just as busy as the rest of my life has been. <laughs> now, tell me, what other motorbikes have you got? Do I saw a motorbike? I like motorbikes. Well, um, starting at the bottom, I've got a little monkey bike, but then I've got an MR50, which was the first Elsinore that Honda did in 74. That's in, in immaculate condition. I've still got my XR75 that I used to race. It's still fully worked with sidecar. I've got a KDM 250 um, two-stroke, a 1985 model that I used to race. Uh, they used to put out 50 horsepower out of a 250. I've got my KDM 520. I've got my XT 500. I've got a CBR 600RR. Um, I've got a CB 404 Super Sports. Do you know those? Had a little six-speed gearbox in it, oh, and really? I've done it up as the full cafe racer. Oh yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Full fairing. It's, oh, it's a oh, beautiful. Cool. Everywhere I go it takes me twice as long because people stop and go, that's "Oh cool. wow, you know." That's <laughs> so, a cool little bike, actually. I like that. Yeah, it's a classic. How do you get away with having so many motorbikes? Oh, I just don't get rid of them. Yes. Yeah, there's people I call final owners, and there's two types of final owners. The first type is the one that after they've had something, that's the end of it. It's final, right? Hmm. And then you've got another final owner that that 
that rebuilds things, refurbishes them, cherishes and cares for them. And, and I just look at, look at my cars and my motorcycles and my airplanes as if they're kind of items there uh, that, that need to, need to be looked after. Yeah, we, we, we can, we get, can get this attachment to some of these things. You know, I've got, uh, I've got my KTM 350 sitting in my office at the moment. I uh, don't know why, but anyway, it's sitting, <laughs> it's sitting in a back room in my office and it's silly me actually started it in my office. As a, as nice. a guy that works in my office said, hey, let's start it up. Now the whole place smells like petrol and has for the last two weeks. But yeah. I just walk in and I look at it now and again and go, gee, that's pretty cool. Then go and sit down. That's why I want a Ducati. I want a Ducati motorbike to sit in my yeah. office to look at it most of the time. Well, they're all pretty beautiful in their own way. I mean, the CBR 600 RR is oh, just they're nice. Just, I'm a, I just, like Honda. I'm a big Honda there, fan. There's nothing better than just working away in your shed surrounded by the things that you've put together, you know. It's, a, it's, it's not a bad feeling. No, that's true. It's just my wife, I don't think, will allow me to get another motorbike. Well, you already, I've got enough hobbies as it is. But, yeah, uh, you never have enough. And, <laughs> and I, I have a disease. It's called shedlock. <laughs> and what it means, every two years you're in shedlock and you've got to build another shed. Yeah, um, that see, a space can be a dampener on your purchases, really. And I, I know some people that live out sort of in more rural areas and got plenty of space, and they go crazy. It's like, oh yeah, we've got room for it. Whereas if I have to buy something now, it's like, well, where am I going to? Even I was talking to my son; he's got into building dioramas, and they're getting yeah. bigger and bigger. And I've had to say to him, "Boy, where are we going to put this now? We're full." Like there's no more shelf space. There's nothing left. So if you're going to build something, you're going to build it on the small size or you have to donate it to somebody else because it ain't fitting in anywhere here. So yeah. The uh, the joys. Yeah. Well, the, the large planes and also cars take a lot of bloody space. Yes. The only space is train sets, so don't get into oh, I know, Well, look, he, he, he likes the idea of train sets. And I know as a kid I had train sets, but, yes, they involve – you have to have a dedicated room for, for a train set. It's like it's got to be there by itself. But Yeah, nah. I have to build a garage just for the train set, so, oh. yeah, it's not good. And, and look, well – there's there's many there were many people listening to this going oh I wish I had all those toys that John's got and all that space you obviously got a bit of space around you to be able to put all these things yeah I just kept on building garages underneath the house and on the side and all over the place and I've got a mezzanine level and you just you, you find space well I've got this uh, I've got a, a house up in the country and uh, it's sort of built on a slope so there's plenty of storage space underneath the house and so that's my dumping ground that's where I've got a, I've got a lot of foamies there. Foamy gliders are good up there, actually. I've got, <laughs> got plenty of foam up there. That's where all the foam lives, actually. I've got two foam planes in, in my house in Melbourne and all the rest are up there because it's sort of a, a fly off a little grassy ridge, so it's not no runway, yeah. so it's, foam's the only option. But um, Yeah, the only trouble is you forget what you've got and then sometimes you walk into a room you haven't been into in a while and you go, oh, shit, I knew I had something like that. Yeah, well, I'm trying to build up two sets of stuff. So when I'm so I have this problem that when I go up to my holiday house, I end up carting boxes of stuff. So if I want to go flying, I take my transmitter and then the battery chargers and batteries and then glue and tools and all that kind of stuff, just in case, because you never know. Right? Yeah. Well that's where it, that's where a good trailer is good because you to me yeah the to me the trailers are the trailers are flight box, right? My my trailer I call my storage shed. Yeah, <laughs> because I've got a single car garage, John. 
So oh, where do I put everything? So so I've got 200 cc's in the, in the bottom and the top shelf. I've got four other planes and that's all the big planes. So I can't actually buy any more planes because they don't fit. So that, oh. that stops that. But up in the country now, so I don't have to cart all this stuff, I've got a spare transmitter there. I've got a battery charger there. I just take batteries with me. That's all I need to take now is batteries. I've just got to buy some glue. I've got to buy some foam glue to take up there to, to repair the broken models after I've sort of binned them a bit. Um, and that's all I need. And I, I've got – I'm fully self-sufficient. So I can just turn up and everything's ready to go there. But I've got this problem with mountain biking because I move gear. And every time I go there, I go, okay, do I have chain oil uh, at the house or is it in Melbourne? And so I've got to I've got to actually write a list. That's what I have to do. Next time I go up, I'm going to write a list of the things that I need to buy, so I don't have to cart things up there. Well, you know, in every capital city, there should be an aero modeling museum. And what happens is that's just something where you can store your aircraft, and people can oh. pay to maybe come and have a look. But really, the whole idea is that's just where you can store your excess. Well, can you imagine in China? Well, you know, they've got a shortage of space. I've actually I went to a clubhouse in China, and the clubhouse was actually not at the field. It was like a house in the middle of the city. Wow. And and I've got it on a video. If you get on the Flat Out RC YouTube channel, you'll see some trips from about 2017, I think it was. Mm. Yes, 2017 in Huzoi. Not Huzoi. Yeah, Huzoi. Um, but anyway, I um, they they took us through all these rooms and there's planes and models and generally small stuff all over the place. And basically it was a place for the members to store their planes and to also come and build their models. So they had wow, building desks and stuff like that. It was small, but, um, but you know, it, it was it was amazing to have that. And they were all sorts of different things. But then I also saw it another field where they had built almost like these little storage rooms and you could keep your models there. And I reckon it's such a good idea that imagine if some of these clubs could have like little little storage units you could you could rent you know, to keep some of your models there, so you wouldn't. You could just go there and know that something's ready, to, ready to go. Oh. It might get out of hand though if we did that. <laughs> it's just like a storage unit kind of facility. We just pay and they make a bit of money. Oh, that, that's a good idea. Actually, I'm going to spe- speak to my club. Maybe I can. Uh, well, you know, my some- ultimate dream was to maybe get twenty era modelers that were all really keen and form a cooperative. And buy a property somewhere where you could all put your little, uh, you know, house on it, little oh, a commune. You, all- you want to create an yeah. aero modeling commune? Yeah, that's right. Yep. I'll tell you what, that wouldn't work. Human nature. Yeah, it takes one person to bring it all down, and the next minute you're in the you're on a current affair television program where they're saying, "Oh, and these people that fly model planes have uh, killed each other, burnt the place down because one person was disgruntled." No, it's too hard. Yeah, so I'm I'm looking forward to Shepparton again this year. I haven't been. Oh, long, we all so are. Um, I did get um, Pilot's Choice one year, and that was probably um, probably my uh, you know the most enjoyable time for me is where I you know get recognised for, for something because you know that just meant a lot to me and and I just love the vibe of Shepparton where you go there and there's a hundred people just like me. You know what I mean? Mm. I just I just find it it's really really good. It's a good place. Really inspiring. Yep. So we need Shepparton. It's going to be back this year. Um, I I know it's back because I I do the I did their website and I maintain it for them and um the 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 teasers up there saying that uh, you know save the date 
Um, so it's the middle of September again, but uh, I'll make yeah, it second weekend song dance. September. Yeah, always. I always say that's the start of my aero modelling again after the winter hiatus. You, I don't know about you, but um, as we record this down here in Melbourne, the weather is terrible. It's freezing yeah. cold and wet every day. Plenty of snow for those who enjoy skiing. Uh, it's 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 bucketing down, but gee, it's cold. Yeah, well, it's the same for us. It's the start of the season for us. It kind of happens at the right time because we close the field during the lambing season and usually after Shepparton is when the lambing season's over and, and then we can get back on the field. So we're usually off it for two to three months in, in the coldest time of the year uh, and, and, and Shepparton, um, we can go to Shepparton because we can't fly to our own field and, and, and then we're back on after Shepparton. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I always say, I oh, wouldn't it be great to live up north where the, where the weather's better, but they've had pretty wet weather that's that, – uh, for months now on end, um, which has hampered their flying efforts and a few clubs were flooded and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, well, we, look, we just do what we can. We go flying when we can. And uh, and if not, we can talk about it and listen to this podcast, read magazines, watch a few videos. There's always plenty of ways to keep occupied. We were booked to go up to casino and, and then it was cancelled. So we went up anyway because we had everything booked and, and it rained almost the whole time we <laughs> yeah. were there. So. Well, that's been moved now to Inglewood. Uh, yeah, I know. It's so. a pity that... It was really sad to see the devastation there from from the floods. Oh, it's terrible. And you know what? The, you hear stories now and again about the repercussions of all that. And um, I was talking to somebody oh, in the last day or two about um, – oh, I was yesterday, yesterday, um, when I was out playing table tennis, a guy was telling me about his son who lives up in Queensland and how you know the water rose two and a half metres. Fortunately, they were in a Queenslander but they lost everything underneath the house kind of thing and um yeah but um yeah and and even farms that you know lost the crops and and all that that affects affects them financially so it's um yeah it's been a weird time you know it's just it's a lot of people doing it tough so well look john we'll come to the end and we've got that final question that everybody can't wait to hear the answer to and it's going to be interesting to see what your answer is like it is with most people but some people is predictable but I don't know which way you're going to go with this 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 answer and that is what has been your all-time favorite model um it'll probably have to be my one-third swap with pup um yeah i just love flying it and it was so much fun building it and uh yeah, it's yeah. I just I just it just flies so well. It's just a a big predictable bird, and it just looks so good in the sky. So it would have to be the Bolsa USA one third swap with pup. Yeah, okay, that's a good choice, and it's a good looking model too. The um, okay, well, look, I'm I'm going to mention the website again: www.thescaleaviators org.au uh, to go and have a look at what I've been looking at and you can see the work of the uh, the um, robotic lawnmower which I'm, <laughs> I tell you what if, if there's anything that I, you know that I got from this discussion was hey this could be the future <laughs> nobody no yeah. more mowing roster <laughs> it needs all, wings uh, it yeah. needs wings and then we'd be right yeah I know I tell you what well but you that, know you can even get on your phone and remote control it too so you can learn you can learn learn to, to control it like that oh can you oh, yeah awesome so you know when you when you're not having a fly you can have a go and driving the mower around how good uh, we, we have a facebook page too which is the scale aviators as well have you i'm gonna go we post events with, when when we post our events they go up there and, and usually there's a registration form that asks questions whether you're staying for dinner and all that sort of stuff and and it's all done sort of through the website and through facebook so 
Well, it's, it's a good little spot, and if uh, if people are looking for a place to to hold a, a an event or something, it looks like an awesome outlook and nice field. So uh, get on down there, get on up there or down there, depending which way you're coming from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'd be welcome. Yeah. Well, John, it's been a pleasure to having a chat with you. Put to put put a voice to a name, really, because uh, your name has always uh, cropped up, and um, you're doing a good job. And thanks for your efforts you've been you put into uh, the world of aeromodeling. No worries. Thank you very much. Great stuff. About to leave. Already packing. Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. Did you see that little message, the thing that I fell in love with, with uh, that discussion with John? The the robotic lawnmower. What a great idea for model flying clubs. You know, no more rosters to mow the grass. Just get one of these things. It'd probably work out the same cost as uh, running a normal mower. Uh, So I, I, I really looked into that idea. I told my wife about it and... She said, you're not getting one. I said, well, no, I'm, I don't need one. But uh, but for flying clubs, I think it would be a great option. So anyway, well done, John. Thank you for uh, joining me on the podcast because I really had a, had a great time learning more about John because, who, as I mentioned, I've heard his name a lot through magazines, you know, Airborne Magazine and reading his articles. So uh, could you put a name, a voice to a name? No, a name to a voice? Well, I don't know. You work it out. Uh, anyway, don't forget to subscribe to Flat Out RC Podcast, the YouTube channel, the Instagram page, the Facebook page. Just get on board with the Flat Out RC movement. I am still in America. I'll give you a bit of an update. Yep, still hot here in Vegas. Uh, need to have another drink because I don't think I've had enough. Feeling uh, feeling a bit run down. Haven't been sleeping well because of the jet lag. But uh, look, a couple of days and I'm getting back on the aeroplane. I'm, I'm flying home. I'll be back this Sunday morning, everybody which means I'll be back on deck for next week. Uh, no, I've got to, I'm going to record another interview before then so that I'm prepared. Yes, that's what I need to do. Anyway, as I just speak, uh, think out loud, thanks for joining me once again. I will be back next week with another episode. I hope you're enjoying your aero modeling. Talk to you then.